Oh, well, another episode of my podcast is now taking place. Welcome to this episode. Um, today's episode will be fairly short. We're looking once again at one of my papers. Let me share my screen. Now, oh, we can see this all. We see here uh, my website where, well, I mean, you can see a lot of things, my teaching talks and the likes. Um, but we're interested here in publications. And for today's session, I've decided we'll talk about a little commentary I wrote um, with my wife, Heather Browning, um, which was published in a journal called Animal Sentience. And, well, the journal, I think, was founded in 2015, where the goal was to, to look, well, animal consciousness, people have started to write more and more about it, but it hasn't really been a dedicated journal. The journals that focus on animal cognition don't really like talking about consciousness. They're still in pushback by scientists, and they publish targets articles, typically, which means that um, authors can respond and often they receive, say, like 20 commentaries and then the authors of the original target article respond to those comments. So the commentary we wrote concerns this article um, by um, Irina Mikhailovich and Russell Powell on Minds Without Spines, Evolutionary Inclusive Animal Ethics, where they're interested in overturning our speciesist and anthropocentric uh, conceptions of how to think about animal minds, where we should think about how we could include animals uh, that are very distantly related to us, that might have very different brains. Um, our paper wanted to focus on invertebrates. Um, consider, for instance, insects or octopuses, um, animals without spines, um, that we typically do not include in animal um, ethics considerations. And yet there has been a turn towards recognizing, well, octopuses might well be sentient, have feelings, and perhaps now even insects. So we wanted to focus then on the question of, well, if these um, animals have consciousness, then how could we possibly assess their welfare? Well, we need to figure out what is good and bad for them. So... I'm going to read out this commentary. It's going to be pretty short compared to the article length episodes we've had here. So, in abstract, Mikhailovich and Powell 2020 argue that it's wrong both scientifically and morally to dismiss the evidence for sentience in invertebrates. They do not offer any examples, however, of how their welfare should be considered or improved. We draw on animal welfare science to suggest some ways that would not be excessively demanding. Um, one of the concerns um, with considering, say, insect welfare, of course, is that there's so many insects that that might quickly become um, perhaps um, unreasonable if he said, oh, you have to examine every step you take because there might be an insect, and if you step on it, it might matter just as much as you, but that's not the way with a view we should take, we argue here. So, had a... Yeah. Maybe we'll go for this uh, biography here. It's a zookeeper and PhD candidate in the School of Philosophy at Australian National University. No longer, she got a PhD. 
Um, and it works on conceptual methodological issues in the measurement of consciousness and animal welfare. Still very much true. Uh, Walter White is a PhD candidate in the School of History and Philosophy of Science at the University of Sydney, normal lecturer at the University of Reading. His dissertation is on the origins of sentience and consciousness as a mere byproduct of the evolution of damage, detection, nociception, and pain, um, which has been developed into my pathological complexity thesis for the origins of consciousness. So, Mikhailovich and Paul uh, review the literature on invertebrate sentience to challenge the widespread assumption that invertebrates are lower class of life and hence do not require the protection we grant to vertebrates. Um, finger of birds, mammals. They bring together current findings in invertebrate cognition, physiology, and behavior to argue there's enough evidence to conclude that some invertebrates at least have the type of sentience necessary for welfare consideration. Uh, Mikhailovich and Powell, I'll abbreviate them now as M and P. Um, their goal, however, is not to answer the more practical question of how invertebrate welfare can be improved. So they state, Quote, our goal here has not been to determine whether invertebrates can suffer under specific experimental conditions or live well on others. Rather, we addressed a more foundational question, whether these animals are capable of suffering or flourishing at all. Once we have established that there is sufficient evidence for sentience in a species, or as suggested by Birch 2017, an order. There is then the question of what to do about it. There is both a moral and practical question. The moral question is about what sort of moral status we should accord to species given that it is sentient. What role should its members play in our moral deliberations? This is an important question and one on which there is much to say. But it is not the one we will address here. We will address the question of how we can act to improve the life of these animals. So you can see the focus here largely we have been uh, putting on is insects. In fact, currently we work um, on insect welfare questions. There's been quite a lot of push in the recent literature. Um, we hope to publish perhaps a paper. Um, maybe it comes out this year. Maybe it will take until next year. Um, where we address questions regarding how insect pain might be taken seriously as an idea when there was a lot of question about it before. Um, so how can we improve the lives of these animals? One worry about admitting concern for invertebrate welfare is that it may turn out to be too demanding. There are so many invertebrates used in so many ways that might require radical changes in the political and public sphere to protect them. As M and P argue, this is not a reason enough to deny admission to the moral community. We would add that moral consideration of invertebrates does not have to be as demanding as might be expected. We should not presume that according moral status to invertebrates places duties on us that we don't even apply to non-human vertebrates. The existence of trade-offs between human and non-human interests has long been recognized. The fact that something may be harmful does not necessarily entail that it is impermissible. M and P cite the argument of Carruthers, 2007, that giving moral consideration to invertebrates would oblige us to adopt the Jane practice of constantly sweeping the floor in front of us to ensure we never step on an insect. 
This does not necessarily follow from our recognition. We could recognize sentience and insects without also assuming that they have uh, the awareness and higher order cognition of persisting through time that creates future regarding preferences. This would reduce the harm caused by premature death as well as our duty to avoid doing so. Uh, Browning invite 2020. We would, however, reject the argument of McMahon 2002 that it would eliminate it completely. So there should be some more concern. Um, it's just that it's not, say, equal to considering human lives. Think about this idea of degrees of sentience. Some species might have more consciousness than others. So even if we were to take premature death as a more significant harm, it would not necessarily follow that we must take substantial actions to prevent it. For example, the fact that driving causes many deaths to mammalian species, COVID in 2007, including humans, is not taken to be sufficient reason to cease driving. Yet, we are certain that mammals are sentient and have welfare we will otherwise wish to protect. The request to stop driving would be too demanding and thus not morally required. We could similarly acknowledge that while it is harmful to insects to be stepped on, it is too demanding to take measures to ensure that this is completely prevented. So although we should not step on insects deliberately when we can avoid doing so, we are not required to sweep our paths as Jane's do. From granting invertebrates moral status, it does not follow that we must make large sacrifices on their behalf. It is clearly an open question as to how demanding certain actions or sacrifices will be and where the threshold of too demanding should be set, particularly in more challenging cases of complex interactions between human activities and animal arms, such as in agriculture and habitat incursion. Issues that are too complex to untangle here. It's always a very short commentary. Um, we simply wish to point out that acknowledgement of moral status does not have to entail huge or difficult sacrifices. There are many small, uh, feasible ways we can take invertebrate welfare into consideration. The science of invertebrate welfare can be intimately connected with the science of invertebrate sentience. The types of sentient experience of which invertebrates are capable will determine the range of possible benefits and harms. Consider the controversy over whether some insects can feel pain. Klein and Barron, 2016, Adamo, 2016, Snell and all, 2014, and a very old paper, Eisenman et al., 1984. If it were to turn out that they cannot, then perhaps we do not need to be concerned about causing them tissue damage. But if they do experience other aversive mental states such as hunger and thirst in a qualitative and not merely cognitive sense, so there's a real feeling component involved, we should be concerned about providing adequate food and water. What is important is determining the interests the animal in question possess. What makes their lives go better or worse? So the fact that cockroaches are capable of suffering does not mean it should be forbidden to kill them to prevent proliferation, say, in homes or food storage areas. However, we might want to minimize or forbid the use of neurotoxins that cause a prolonged death and instead investigate quicker and more humane methods of killing. This has been the focus of recent work by the Wild Animal Initiative, Howard 2019. Similar work is being done on uh, the human control of rodents who are known to be sentient and capable of suffering. Litten et al., 2014. 
This does not exclude pest control entirely, but it should constrain and guide how it is to be carried out. So as typically required for vertebrate species, there could also be the need to seek appropriate methods of analgesia for use in a, a painful experiments in vertebrates. Cooper 2011, National Research Council 2011. There may also be a need to, for revision of the call of replacement under the free R's. Russell and Birch, 1959. Currently, this calls for replacing, invertebra replacing vertebrates with invertebrates, yet they too may be harmed in research. Right? The idea is that if you replace vertebrates with invertebrates, less harm or perhaps no harm is being committed because these animals are assumed to not feel pain, but it might be wrong. There might also be a need to be improved housing conditions for captive invertebrates, whether in research, agriculture, or zoos, providing appropriate shelter areas, diet enrichment, depending on their specific needs and desires. Crook, 2013, Hovath, et al., 2013. More specific examples and suggestions will come from research into the capacities and requirements of different species of invertebrates, e.g. Carrere and Mayfer, 2019. Species-specific proposals have already been made for octopuses as a result of growing knowledge, Browning 2019. Cognitive bias tests developed in men, uh, mammals, Mendel et al., 2009-2010, can in many cases be applied straightforwardly to invertebrates to improve their welfare. This has already been done in bees, Bateson et al., 2011. It is clearly possible to take action to improve the life of sentient invertebrates. We should not let the demandingness objection prevent progress. So we can straightforwardly apply some of the ways um, we use uh, to think about how we can improve the lives of vertebrates to also improve the lives of invertebrates. And in this short commentary, we wanted to emphasize this and suggest ways of doing this by drawing on animal welfare science. It's interesting to see now that in our current research, we've come back to this, where we are in fact thinking about how to do this in the case of insects. Um, so yes, this is going to be a quite short episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if you find this interesting, perhaps take a look at the Target article by Mikhailovich and Paul. It's all open access. And yeah, otherwise, have a good week. Yeah, and well, I suppose even uh, the largest YouTube account sometimes mention this. If you like this episode, feel free to subscribe. And with this, bye.